Hey, uh, glad you're here with us. If you uh, have your own Bible, turn with, the, uh, with me to the book of Amos. Uh, you may be wondering, where is the book of Amos? It's in the Old Testament. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. If you find uh, Psalms, Proverbs, if you make your way through Daniel and Ezekiel, uh, then you'll get into the minor prophets. And if you find Joel, you're almost there. Uh, the book of Amos is where we're going to be. If you uh, uh, use one of the Bibles in the, in the pew backs in front of you, you can turn to page 745. If you don't have access to either of those, most of the text should be up on the screen. Uh, we're in part two of a sermon series that we began last week on the book of Amos, God's passionate plea to his people. And uh, we're actually going to get into the thrust of the book. So chapter one, verse three, is where we're going to be. I've entitled the sermon this morning, The Tightening of the Noose. The Tightening of the Noose. So I trust that you're there, Amos chapter one. Let's dive right in. Let's pray together, and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the morning. It's a privilege to come and to be together with your people, to sit under your word, your inspired word, your authoritative word, your altogether trustworthy and inerrant word. Uh, And thank you, Father, that we can turn uh, to a prophet that lived many years ago and yet speaks to a time much like ours and speaks to a people much like us. Father, you have things to say through this prophet of old to us today, to your people, to your church, about how we're supposed to live, about how we are supposed to treat other people made in your image, about how we as your people, the church, are to live in submission to your word. And so help us, help me to speak words that are truthful, that are helpful, that are powerful by the power of the Spirit, and help those who hear your word to be changed, to not leave the same but to be different, to be changed into the image of Christ for our good and for our joy and for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask it and all of God's people together said, amen, amen. So you may have noticed uh, a little bit something different about my attire this morning. I've got this lovely Batman cape on. So let me show it to you. Here we go. There it is, the Batman cape. It's actually my son's Batman cape. However, it was my Batman cape before it was his Batman cape. And so the, the cape that you're, you're seeing me sport today is vintage. Uh, uh, I wore it some 20-something, 30-something years ago when I was a little tyke, and my mother made me this Batman cape for Halloween. And I'd like to tell you a quick story about this cape and a, a cape actually very much like it. It was a Superman cape. Uh, so for thanks, uh, for Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween. For Halloween one year, uh, I dressed up as Batman. And I had a very good friend, and his name was Austin. Austin Haller, named after the great city in Texas, Austin. And so Austin and I were very good friends. We were best buddies. We went trick-or-treating together. I was Batman, as you can see, and he was Superman. Now, his mom and my mom uh, made capes, these capes, and he had a Superman cape uh, exactly like this one, and we wore it trick-or-treating. Well, after that, we liked to play with it, and so we would play superheroes. I was Batman, and he was Superman, and we would run around the house and save people and beat each other up and whatever, you know, whatever we do. We would play superhero. Uh, Now, one of the things that we had, uh, and we would play in the front yard and the backyard, in the house that I grew up in, we had a a fence around my backyard, and on top of the fence uh, were not the kind of blunt ends, but for some reason, my mom and dad saw fit to have kind of sharp edged uh, fence lining, if you know what I'm talking about, so that if you kind of grab it with your hand, it would cut you. It was, it was, it was sharp, you know. And so uh, 
Austin and I found a way to navigate around this. And so we would play. To make a long story short, we were playing one day when we were running in the backyard and we saw fit uh, to chase down the bad guy who had gone over the fence. So we decided to, to climb the fence. And so I was four, five, six maybe, and we're climbing the fence and I climb it first. So here I am in my Batman cape, and I climb up the fence, and I get my feet on top of it, and I jump right over, and I fly through the air, right, with the greatest of ease. No problem, I make it. Uh, Well, my friend Austin wasn't so lucky. Now, he had a cape, just like mine, uh, and he climbed up, and he jumped, but apparently he didn't jump far enough out. And I think you're hopefully seeing what happened. The tail end of his cape got caught on the, the barbed wire fence edge, and Notice, what, what, what is this right here? What is this material? Velcro. Okay, now it didn't originally have Velcro. Okay, so the variety that I had and the one that he had did not have Velcro. So let me ask you a question. What happened to my friend? Well, it sort of formed a bit of a noose around his neck, and he was hanging there by his cape with uh, these things tightening uh, by the second around his neck. And he screamed, and I thankfully knew what to do. So I ran inside, and I got my mom, and she thankfully ran out there, and we found him, a little red-faced, right? He hadn't passed out or anything, but literally hanging there uh, like a noose around his neck. Uh, So you'll you'll notice there's Velcro on these now, because what did smart mom do? She said, no more tying this around your neck. Right? We put Velcro so that if that ever happened again and we flew over the fence, well, this Velcro would tear really quickly, right? So that's the story of this Batman uh, cape and this Superman cape. You know, uh, the way that Amos, as we really get into the beginning of this book, <clears throat> the way that Amos is going to approach, approach his message against the nation of Israel there in the north. Remember, he's from a a different nation. He's from Judah in the south. He's a foreigner. He's going to Israel in the north, God's people, and he's going to speak a message primarily of judgment. And the way that he's going to do that has been likened to a noose around somebody's neck. It's been likened to Amos throwing a, a rope and a noose around the neck of Israel that slowly over time tightens around the neck of Israel as he begins his prophecy, his, his word to the message of, to the nation of Israel by pronouncing judgment on other nations that surround them. So I'd like to show you this map. We'll be seeing lots of maps, but this is the most important one I think you'll see all day long. Notice, Israel is in pink. That is where Amos is, be, is going to go and share his message of judgment. But the way he begins his message, he's going he's gonna to earn their ear by talking about nations that surround them and the judgment that's going to come, so that as he preaches judgment against these surrounding nations, his hearers will be saying, oh yeah, those guys are bad. They need to get it. And what he's going to do is essentially um, pronounce judgments on all of the surrounding nations that surround Israel and form a bit of a noose. He's going to form a bit of a noose around their neck. And every time he goes to the next nation, it's as if his hearers in the northern nation of Israel would be a little more uncomfortable. They'd be saying, yeah, I agree with you. And then the next one, and it would get closer geographically. And they say, yeah, those guys are bad too. And then it would get a little closer. He would get a little closer. He would, he's going to surround them with a noose of judgment. And at the time that it comes for him to speak judgment against the nation of Israel, the noose has been set, 
And they are most likely getting pretty uncomfortable because judgment has been getting closer and closer and closer. The noose is going to be formed around the nation of Israel by Amos pronouncing judgment against surrounding nations. But his main target, his bullseye, his main audience is Israel in the north. So today what we're going to do in verse Uh, 3 of chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 5 is we're going to take a look at this noose, this uh, noose that's going to be formed around the neck of the nation of Israel as Amos begins by pronouncing judgment on other nations. Next week, we'll get to his formal message to the nation of Israel. So let's move on. What we're going to see is uh, seven nations. He's going to pronounce judgment against seven nations that surround the nation of Israel. Um, Remember the illustration that we began with last week, right? The prophets, it's kind of like a sporting event. Do you remember that illustration? Uh, So the prophet Amos is like a referee. And the sport that's being played and the teams that are being uh, played in this game are the nations. And the nations, um, the game they're playing are how they interact with one another and then how they interact with God. And the prophet is like a referee. He's going to call the whistle, right? He's going to throw the flag. He's going to say, you've broken the rules, either the rules of common decency against humanity or to the covenant nations, you've broken God's law. He plays the part of a referee. So using that illustration, we're going to see seven teams, right? Seven nations, seven teams that are playing the sport. And as Amos speaks of judgment against these seven nations in preparation of judgment against Israel, we're going to see a common theme. He's going to give these short messages of judgment, and they have uh, essentially three elements. First of all, he's going, to, he's going to name the team that broke the rule. So he's going to call the nation out that's doing something wrong, Secondly, he's going he's gonna to speak of the rule that was broken. So you, Edom, this is the rule that you broke. Thirdly, he's going to call a penalty on them. He's going to say, this is the rule that you broke, and here's the penalty. It's not 15 yards for pass interference, right? It's much more significant than that. He's going to say the rule, he's going to call the penalty, and then we're going to see from history when the penalty was actually served. So let's begin with the first team up. Team number one in his litany of nations that were worthy of judgment is the nation of Aram. The nation of Aram. Let's read this together, verses 3 through 5. So, we begin formally, verse 3. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Now, Damascus is the the capital city of the nation of Aram. Uh, This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Well, why? Because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Verse 4. I will send fire on the house of Haziel that will consume the fortress of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth-Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Ker, says the Lord. So he calls out the first 
team, right? Notice the map. He begins far away from the nation of Israel, right? He's forming a noose, and he's going to be getting closer and closer and closer to Israel. As I mentioned before, Damascus was the capital city of the nation of Aram. And in the first three messages, he's going to call out the nation by calling out the capital city. So if I were to say, judgment is coming to the White House, Judgment is coming to Washington, D.C. Well, maybe I mean the city and the president, but I can also mean the United States of America, right? And that's what he does. He speaks of the capital city. Uh, and so he calls out the capital city of this nation of Aram. What was the rule that was broken? Did you catch it? What was the rule that was broken? Well, the rule that was broken was the nation of Aram treated people as they were things. They treated people, not as people, but as objects. What did they do? What did they do? Well, if you take it quite literally, we're talking here of torture. They used an object known as a threshing sledge to murder and to torture the Israelites. So, Imagine this. There's, imagine a toboggan that you would go sledding on in the, in the wintertime, right? You sit on it. Uh, a sledge was like that. It was like a toboggan kind of a thing, and it came up, and it curled up a little bit. But on the bottom of, the tobo- of this toboggan, they would use sharp uh, metal, sharp rocks, and they would uh, use this uh, to, sledge, to sledge the grain. But instead of using this object on the harvest, what they did is they apparently ran over people with this torture device. So the rule that they broke was they they treated people like they were just mere things. What was the penalty? What does Amos say is is going to happen? We'll see this repeat almost every time. Well, he predicts fire. The city's going to go down by burning. The king's dynasty is going to be ended and they are eventually going to go into exile back into their land of origins. So the rule that they broke, they treated people like they were just objects. He calls the penalty. There's judgment and exile. Now, when was that penalty served? Well, history tells us that in the year 732 BC, about 30 years later, the nation of Assyria exiled them back to their homeland, back to where they came back from. So we're going to have a series of lessons. So each Each nation that Amos calls out teaches us something about how we're supposed to treat or how we're not supposed to treat people made in the image of God. So here's the first lesson. The first lesson that we see from Team Aram is this. We're not supposed to treat people as things. We're not supposed to treat people like they're just an inanimate object, right? We're supposed to recognize that every human being has dignity. There's there's sanctity to the human life because we're made All of us are made to the smartest, to the most stupid, right? To the most gifted, to the most incapable. We are made in the image of God. And so we are supposed to treat people with respect, dignity, honor, kindness. So employees, they're not just money-making machines, right? They are people. Waitresses, they're not robot servants that we can just treat however we want. They're People, kids, here's one for you. Parents just aren't money-dispensing machines, right? They're people, right? You know, um, we are oftentimes tempted to dehumanize people and to treat them poorly because 
we fail to forget that they're people. I want to share a quick story with you. Uh, Shelly, Shelly and I recently decided to move <coughs> my IRA from Bank of America to another institution. We just weren't happy with what was going on, and so we decided to switch. And it was a big ordeal. I had to call Bank of America three or four times to check on them. Were they, were they transferring the money? Why isn't it there? The other institution hadn't gotten the money yet. It was very frustrating. And I thought something this simple shouldn't be this hard. Well, about the fourth time, after about two or three weeks, um, I finally uh, talked to yet another Bank of America rep- representative. And by that time, do you think I was frustrated? think I was angry? You think I wanted to... Ch- I think I wanted to treat that person just like an object. So I'm on the phone, and I, you have to go through all these questions. Well, Mr. Sheffer, did this happen? Did you do this? Yes, 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 yes. I'm very tense. And I don't know this person. They probably live in Virginia. Could I treat them poorly? Could I treat them just like an object? Sure, I could have. Did I? For the most part, no, I hope, right? Um, for the most part, I, hopefully I treated them with respect. Um, this is the, the first lesson from Team Aram. We need to be careful not to dehumanize people. We need to treat them as people. Let's move on. Team number two, we see Team Philistia. The Philistines, uh, you may know them as. The nation of Philistia, verses 6 through 8. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent, because she took captive whole communities and sold them To Edom. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the king of Ashdod, the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the sovereign Lord. So, taking a look at the map, we see that he moves from Aram to the nation of the Philistines. And he moves uh, geographically a good distance away. We're going to notice that he's moving from far away, and he's getting closer and closer and closer. The cities that were listed were four of the five major cities of the nation of the Philistines. One of them is not listed, but they represent the Philistine nation. What was the penalty? Uh, What was the rule that they broke? Excuse me, what, what did they do wrong? Well, God says that they took a whole community of people and they were involved in creating slaves. Slave trading. Slave trading. So what happened was this nation, we don't know against another, but the Philistines went and they took some people, they grabbed them, they said, you are our property, and then they went and they said, we've got some slaves. Here, Edom, would you like to buy them? And Edom said yes. They were engaged in slavery. That was the rule that was broken. What was their penalty? Amos blows the whistle and he says, foul, right? And here's what is the judgment. Your cities will be destroyed once again by fire. All of your kings and their lineages will be destroyed. And even the very extinction of the race. This is what God predicted. Today, if you were to look around the world, you would not see any Philistines. They are no more because of what God had said. So what's, when was it served? In the year 702, again, the nation of Assyria, the rising power at that time, fulfilled this prophecy. So what's the lesson for us? Well, we've seen the first lesson is that we shouldn't treat people as things. The second lesson is a simple one that we all agree with. We shouldn't treat people as commodities. People are not 
commodities. Now, of course, slavery in our country has a, a, dark, a dark past. Um, and yet, I don't know if in, uh, in the States, and in particular in the world, if this is abolished. Because the truth of the matter is, is that slavery still happens in our world. And that slavery still happens even in the United States of America. I asked our youth pastor, Gary Cavanaugh, to help me out with this. I know he's big into this and cares a lot about it. And he pointed me towards this website, enditmovement.com, E-N-D-I-T movement, enditmovement.com. And there I found out some very startling things. I just want to share a few of them with you. 27 million. There are 27 million slaves in our world. Let that sink in. 27 million million slaves, spanning 161 countries. So this is a global phenomenon. 200,000. There are an estimated 200,000 slaves living right here among us in the United States of America. 200,000. Every year, roughly 17,000 will enter into the slave market here in the United States of America. Roughly 17,000 are trafficked into the U.S. annually. The average cost on the world market for a slave, ready for this? $90. Wow. $90. While the industry as a whole, worldwide, makes about $32 billion. That is more than the annual profit of Google. So this is a a problem, and uh, if you're interested in finding out more about what we can do as Christians, go to enditmovement.com. So here's the lesson for us. We don't treat people as commodities, and we can help fight the people who do. So we've seen Team Aram, we've seen the Philistines. Team number three is the nation of Phoenicia. The nation of Phoenicia is team number three. Let's read in verses 9 through 10. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Tyre, that is the capital city of the nation of Phoenicia. These three, for, the, for three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent. Why? Because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom. That sounds familiar. But here's, here's more. Disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. I will send fire on the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. This Uh, This is what the Lord says. So, we have the nation of Phoenicia. Take a look at the map. There they are. Uh, Tyre was its leading city. Again, you'll notice, geographically, he's going from one end of the map to the other, and then he crisscrosses, and he's narrowing in on Israel. What was the rule that they broke? Well, slave trading, right? Just like the nation before them. So they're guilty of slave trading. But maybe even a more devious kind of slave trading because, because the nation that they took their captives from was the, a very nation, and we don't know the nation, but the nation that they took their captives from, they actually had a peace treaty with. with. The way that it would work is, is nations would say, hey, let's make a treaty. I'll watch over you, you watch over us. If some big nation comes against you, I'll come and protect you. If that big nation comes against me, then you'll protect me. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a treaty. It's an agreement of protection. And what we find out is that the Phoenicians broke that treaty heinously. Instead of protecting these people, they enslaved them. They broke their word. And that, I would suggest, is our lesson. 
Our lesson that we can learn from the nation of Phoenicia is the significance of not breaking our word. Yes, slave trading is horrible, but added to that, they broke their word. Christians, we should not be known for breaking our word, right? Our word should be as good as gold. So when we have a legal contract, we should fulfill that legal contract. When we have a a job and we have certain job responsibilities that we're supposed to do, we should do those responsibilities. If we make a promise to the very best of our capability, we should keep that promise. If you sign up to do nursery or to help with Awana or to, or to be a greeter or to be a part of this church through membership, then, then we should honor that commitment. As Christians, we should keep our word. And when we break our word, it's an offense against humanity made in God's image, right? So we've seen Team Aram, Team Philistia, Team Phoenicia. Let's move now to the fourth team, This time, Amos is going to take his yellow football flag and he's going to throw it against the nation of Edom. Verses 11 through 12. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not relent. Because because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land because, and here's the reason, because his anger raged continually. And his fury flamed unchecked. So, I will send fire on Teman that will consume the fortresses of Basra. So here we have a prophecy against the nation of Edom. If you look at the map, there they are. Again, he's encircling the nation of Israel. Now, the Edomites are related to Israel. The first three nations were not related to Israel, but as he gets closer and closer to Israel, he's going to speak of nations that are blood relatives. So the Edomites are related to Israel, being a descendant from Esau. Remember that guy back in the Old Testament, right? And the interesting thing is that the Edomites and the Israelites had a long history of conflict, a very long history of conflict. They did this to us, and then we're going to respond by doing this, and then, oh, we're going to up the ante, and we're going to do this, that kind of thing. A long history of animosity between these two nations that were brothers, they were relatives. So what was the rule that they broke? Well, the rule that they broke was attacking Israel, its brother, out of vindictive, violent hatred. What they did is they allowed their anger to simmer for years and years and years and years. And reading a bit between the lines, when they saw some people of Israel helpless, instead of helping them, what did they do? They murdered them. They killed them. Because they have had years and years and years of anger and unforgiveness and bitterness stored up. So here's the lesson for us. It was the, the penalty that was, came due was in roughly 300 BC when the two main cities of the nation of Edom were overtaken by a nation known as the Nabataeans. What's the lesson for us? Well, I think here's a simple lesson for you and I. We need to not let bitter anger fester. Boy, can't, isn't this real to life? Somebody hurts you. Somebody says something about you. Somebody does something to your kids and you, you just don't take kindly to it. Somebody, somebody hurts you in some way. And instead of pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation, we seek revenge and we let the anger 
boil in our gut and it simmers and then it steams. And when we get the opportunity, oh boy, we're going to take advantage of it. We're going to lash out against them. There's a story that I came across that uh, is fitting here. Pastor Ray Stedman tells a story of some, some American soldiers that were stationed in Korea during the Korean War. And he tells this story. He says, while they were there, they hired a, a, a local young man, just, just a boy, to cook for them and to, to clean for them. And yet they were, they were jokesters, right? Practical jokesters. And so they would take advantage of him. They would smear Vaseline on the stove, uh, on the stove handle so that when he went to turn it on, he would get it all over his fingers. They'd do simple things like putting buckets of water over the door so he would uh, get a deluge of water when he opened it. They would even nail his shoes uh, down to the ground at night so when he would slip them on, he couldn't go anywhere. Just small things like that. But after a while, they kind of, they kind of felt bad for taking advantage of, of this young man. And so they, they came to him and they said, listen, uh, we've started out by just doing this for fun. We realized it's, it's not funny anymore. And so we're very sorry. And uh, we don't want to take advantage of you anymore. And uh, it seemed to be good to the, uh, to the young man. And so he said, uh, no more sticky on stove? No, they said. No more water on door? No, the group responded. No more nail shoes to the floor? No, they said, never again. So the boy thought about it and he said, okay, no more spit and soup. Isn't that our nature? Isn't that what we do? Here, the nation of Edom, the lesson learned is that uh, we need to not let bitter anger fester. Team number five, Ammon, the, the, the nation of Ammon, the Ammonites, verses 13 through 15, reads this way. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent. Because, and here's the reason, he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead. Why? In order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses amidst war cries on the day of battle, amidst violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile. He and all of his officials together, says the Lord. So, there's the nation of Ammon. Again, their blood, blood relatives through Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. This was Lot's youngest daughter. The Ammonites came from them. So they're relatives, distant blood relatives. And what was the rule that they broke? Well, the rule that they broke was they mistreated helpless people. Did you, did you see that in the text? They mistreated the helpless people. They murdered pregnant women for economic gain. This is brutality. They were storming in to Israel and they wanted to push westward. They can't go east because there's desert, so they pushed westward into the borders of Israel and along the way, they saw innocent people. People who were not engaged in war, but out of anger, they slaughtered pregnant women and their children because they did not want those children to come after them someday. And so what did they do? Well, they, to put it nicely, they mistreated the helpless, the defenseless, those who need protecting, they harmed. So the penalty was called, the capital city will burn, 
The king will go into exile, which was served by Babylon in 586. So what's our lesson? What's our lesson? As a nation and as people, we should not mistreat the helpless. One of the things that this tells us is that how a nation treats its legitimately helpless, how a nation handles those who are legitimately helpless matters to God. So, people like children, people like the elderly, people like the incapacitated, people, those, people who are physically handicapped, people who are mentally handicapped, the homeless, and in this case, the unborn children. Aren't you glad that you live in a nation that protects unborn children? Or do we? Do we? We don't kill the mother, but I would suggest to you that we live in a nation that's a bit more sophisticated than they. And if we want to do away with unborn children for economic gain, then we have a law saying that we can do that. 1.06 million In 2011, which is the last year on record that we have these numbers, in America, 1.06 million children were aborted in the United States. Over the past um, roughly 50 years, from 1973, which is Roe versus Wade, nearly 53 million children have been murdered in the United States. The Gutenheimer Institute says that the top two reasons that Uh, women generally commit uh, uh, abortions, is number one, uh, the baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities, and number two, uh, for financial reasons. And so while we preserve the life of the mother, while the Ammonites killed the mother and the babies for monetary economic prosperity, uh, I would suggest to you that in America, we do too. We do too. And God... God is not pleased with a nation that does that. Number six, the sixth team, is the nation of Moab, getting closer geographically to Israel. Chapter two, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not relent. Why? Because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. That's what he did. What's, what's going to happen? I will send fire on Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kiriath. Moab will go down in a great tumult amidst war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all of her officials within her, says the Lord. So here we have team number five. Again, Amos, the referee, blows his whistle. What was the rule that they broke? What was the rule that they broke here of of the Moabites? If you look, that's where they are. We're getting closer and closer to Israel. They were blood relatives, again, of Lot through his oldest daughter. And the rule that they broke was misuse of the human body. They misused the human body of their enemies, desecrating both the grave and the dead body of Edom's king. So that's what they did. That was one way to erase a nation's history, is you would go away and you would poke a stick. We defeated that king, but now we're going to desecrate his body, burning his bones to lime. That's just a way of saying they burnt it to nothing. The penalty handed down was, again, fire, the death of the leaders of the nation, which was served in 582 BC, again, by the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So what's our lesson for today? What, 
What's the lesson here? Well, I think it's, it's simple. We should not also misuse the human body. I struggled thinking about applications of this. How is it that we could be guilty? I don't know if any of you, I, I don't think any of you recently went out to a grave and said, I really hate that guy. I'm going to dig up his body and burn it. You, I hope none of you have done that. If you did, then let's talk. But uh, so how does this work, right? How do, how do we misuse the human body? Here's one way, and I'm happy to take suggestions. I, my fear is that as a culture, we are becoming increasingly desensitized to violence. I don't know if you feel this or not. I feel it as I get older. Increasingly desensitized to violence done against the human body. Increasingly accepting of watching violence done to the human body for fun or for sport or for entertainment. Just this week, as I was looking on Facebook, as if you're on Facebook, you know there are all sorts of ads for different things. And I saw an ad for a a, a video game that's coming out. And uh, let me get this right. The video game is called The Evil Within. Not a good title, The Evil Within. So I was like, this looks bad. Let me watch it. And so I watched the little clip of the, of the preview. Hey, don't judge. This is for sermon purposes, right? So I watched the clip of this video game, and it was utterly gory, utterly violent. Uh, people getting their, I don't even describe, just the maiming of human life and the, and the blood. And I thought, if our, if our children are playing this, this is not, listen, when I was a kid, I played Mortal Kombat, and if you know what that is, that had its fair share of gore and violence, okay? But this is like a hundred times worse than that. We're just desensitized to it. We're, we're entertained now, right, by the misuse of the human body. So thus far, how many, uh, how many teams have we seen? How many nations have we talked about? Two, three, four, five, six. Okay, and there's the, there's the chart. Six nations so far. The noose is getting tighter around the nation of Israel. The first three are unrelated nations. The last three are blood relatives. All of them, uh, the penalty involves fire. We see the rule broken. The rule broken all applies to, to human dignity, to human decency, to how we treat one another, right? Well, as we move into the seventh, and we can move on to the seventh team, it's Team Judah. Now, Team Judah is different because this is one of God's chosen covenant nations. So what did they do wrong? Let's read verses four through five of chapter two. This is what the Lord says for three sins of Judah, even for four I will not relent because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. So I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. So here we have Team Judah. Now, Team Judah is just to the south of Israel. At this point, the noose is around the neck of Israel, and it's getting very close to home. And while they started uh, listening to Amos saying, amen, amen, those guys are horrible, amen, amen, uh, they're starting to sweat in their seats a little bit because it's getting close to home. And I think they're fearful that judgment is coming next to them, right? So what was the rule they broke? What was the rule they broke? Two of them, really. They rejected the law of the Lord, which led to idolatry. They rejected God's law. Now notice, he doesn't say anything about how they treated people. This was a covenant nation. They had more rules than just treating other people nicely and humanely. They had a whole list of rules, 600 and something rules, that they were supposed to keep. And they rejected them, and they followed after false gods. What was the penalty? The the, familiar image of fire, which was served ultimately in 586 BC when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and exiled almost all the population of Judah. So what's the lesson for us? 
It's quite simple. We should not reject God's word. We should not reject what God says to us. How, how do we do this as a nation? Now, I'm not going to say that the United States of America is a, is a covenant nation, just like Judah and Israel, because we are not. However, the history of America is such that Christianity has had such a strong influence in America that, as far as I'm concerned, that we know a lot about the Bible. We have access to what God's law says. So as a nation, when we make laws like legalizing abortion, like redefining marriage, like forcing faith-based companies to provide immoral contraception, or forcing companies to serve a clientele that is against their conscience. As a nation, we might be rejecting the word of God. What about as a church? As a ch- can, can a church reject God's word? Can we? Shake your heads, yes. A church can reject God's word. First and foremost, by rejecting the authority of God's word. By saying, well, the culture says this about heaven, about hell, about sin, about sexuality, about health and wealth, and and about the cross, and about miracles, and about science. Well, the culture says this. I know the Bible says. I know the Bible says, but. And when churches get into that and blatantly disregard what the Bible says about any issue, then we, too, reject God's word. And God's judgment is most certainly against those churches. And so, friends, as, a, as your pastor, I don't want to even get close to that. And so, so help me. Help me do that well. But as individuals, we have to decide. It's not just me. It's, it's you. You have to decide. What's the authority in my life on any issue, moral, theological, social, on any issue? What is the ultimate authority in your life? Is it the Bible? Or is it what you think? Is it what you feel is right? Is it what the culture says? Because anytime we say, well, I know God's word says this, but I really want this, or I really think the culture says this, then we as individuals reject God's word. Here's how we're going to close our time. With every, with every second that, that passed, my friend Austin uh, hung on a bit of a noose himself. With every second that passed, the strings of his cape that were tied around my friend's neck tightened its grip and took away his life. Similarly, with with every passing word of judgment, with every nation that Amos pronounced judgment on, the, the noose, the proverbial noose of judgment was tightened around Israel. And next week, as we get into his pronouncement against Israel, the bottom is going to drop out from underneath him. And judgment will come. One of the things that we learn, one of the things that we learn from this is that every person, whether they know the Bible or they don't, whether they have a special revelation or whether they, whether they don't, whether they've heard the gospel or not, whether they're religious or not, whether they're from a secular country or a religious country, that every, every people, every people, every person is guilty and worthy of judgment. And the good news is that we're going to celebrate right now is that we have forgiveness of sins offered to us, that we can have our slate wiped 
clean, that we can be made right with God, that we can have a new heart, that we can become new people through faith and trust in what Christ has done, living the perfect life for us, dying the death that we deserve, rising from the dead to give us new and eternal life. And that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the the body of Christ that was torn for us. And we celebrate the blood of Christ that was spilt for us. This is what we're going to do, something different. Our worship team is going to come and we're going to lead you in the beginning of a song to focus our hearts and minds for communion. And at the appointed time, I'm going to invite you all to come. And if you're a Christian, if you're born again, then then come and partake of the elements. But instead of leaving, please return to your seat because when we're done, we're going to finish our song. We're going to close out our, our, our song, focusing our heart and mind on the cross, and then we'll be done. So... Let's just take a quick minute. Our worship team is going to come forth and we're going to sing and we're going to take communion and we're going to sing again and we're going to praise God. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can take communion. Thank you that we can remember what your son has done for us. We pray now as we sing this song about how love ran red at the cross, what you've done for us. May you be well pleased. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.